Well, folks, I don't know about you, but here we are. Zechariah chapter 11. I, I can't believe that we've gotten through 10 chapters of Zechariah already. It seems like it was like a flash. The theme here of uh, chapter 11, though, is, is judgment. It's the judgment of Israel, and the judgment comes because of the rejection of the Messiah. Friends, this is the most controversial chapter in all of Zechariah. Frankly, it may be the most controversial in all of Scripture. So many, many questions. So many of them are, are still unanswered. And, and frankly, these are debated back and forth and back and forth. And obviously, depending upon your theology is where you come down. Why would Zechariah write so many encouraging messages to the people of God? Here they are in post-exilic. They've come out of, of captivity. They're in Jerusalem. They're starting to build the wall. They're starting to build the temple. He's encouraging them in all the previous chapters. And now, unexpectedly comes destruction, complete and thorough destruction, the destruction of the most devastating kind. If I was to put it in today's vernacular, I would call it wipeout city. They just totally are being wiped out. Now, here's something that's unusual for me to do with you, is for have, to have you open up your Bible to the end of your Bible and your maps. I don't normally do this. I, I Frankly, in my 31 years of being here at Grace Community Church, I cannot remember having people turn to their maps. But I want to do that because of this particular chapter. In the maps there, especially if you have a good topograph, typographical ma a map, I want you to take a look at this, and this is my small Bible, and even in my small Bible, I happen to have a, a sufficient enough map to be able to look at these things that I want to show you. The first thing is Lebanon. Lebanon is to the north of Israel, and we need to see that. It's, it's past the, the city of Dan, if you have that on your map. It's, it's past the city of Tyre, but that's where Lebanon is. It's the country that's there. It's uh, past Mount Hermon, if you have that on your map. Bashan, if you look at the Sea of Galilee, Bashan is to the north and to the east of it. It's just giving us a, 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 an idea of where this is. So you can see that these places are, are real places, and, and uh, our um, prophet here, Zechariah, is going to speak of them. And then the Jordan River. Now, for most of you, you're going to see Jordan River, and it's going to be what comes after the Sea of Galilee. But do you know there's a Jordan River north of the Sea of Galilee? Not often is it on the maps, but that's also part of what we have here. This is not the Jordan of the baptism, but it's the same river. It's up north. It empties into the Sea of Galilee and then continues after. I want to make sure that you see that. It goes through Dan almost. And you can see there's many tributaries through there. And I remember on one of the trips that I, I took to uh, Israel, our guide was telling us, this is the Jordan. I went, that doesn't look like the Jordan. It looks like a raging creek, maybe a river, but a raging creek for sure. But it's coming down off the mountain. And so at this point, the Jordan is on the, on the mountainside, and the, and the foliage there is rich, and it's beautiful country, and it's lush because of the water that's there. We hiked through there. It was such a beautiful area. I, I frankly thought of it as being one of the most beautiful parts of all of Israel. Now let's go back to the message. Let's do the setup for this and, and give you a proper outline for this. 
uh, today what we're going to look at is three aspects of judgment, three aspects of judgment. You can say three facets, three whatever, but it's three aspects of judgment. And it's all because of the rejection of Christ the Messiah. Here they are, so you can get them in your notes if you want to take notes. The first facet is the judgment of the land. We see that in verses 1 through 3. Then we have the judgment of the good shepherd. We see that in verses 4 through 14. And then the last uh, aspect is the judgment of the anti-shepherd. And we see that in verses 15 through 17. I'm going to take those in chunks, and so let's take a look at the first three verses. It says this, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that's why we had you look at Lebanon, that a fire may feed on your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the, Cyprus, for the cedars have fallen. Because of the glorious trees have been destroyed. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the impenetrable forest has come down. There is a sound of the shepherd's wail. For their glory is ruined. There is a sound of the young lion's roar, for their pride of the Jordan is ruined. Remember, this is the judgment of the land. And if you've had any amount of time, you would remember that most of the prophecies of Zechariah, if you've been with us, most of the prophecies of Zechariah have been encouraging, inspiring prophecies. The people were to be looking forward to these things. They were to be looking forward to a better day than what they had in in Babylon, in in Chaldea. That's what they were supposed to be looking forward to. Today, Zechariah is going to point to a picture. It's a nasty picture, folks. It's a picture of catastrophe. It's a picture of destruction. But even though this is what he wants to to tell them that the true believer in God should see that if they live a life of obedience, they can still receive blessing. Because that's what it's about. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings judgment. And I think Zechariah is going to make that very clear, that this judgment comes at their disobedience. Let's go back to verse 1 there. Open your doors. It, it's sort of a, a picture of, of a country opening up its doors to let people in. You know, just come on in. This is what's going to happen. Well, they did. They did. That a fire may feed on your cedars. Gives an idea of destruction here, folks. Doesn't give an idea of that, you know, we're going to have a party when you come in here. We're going to just all enjoy this together. Why Lebanon? Why is that being said here? This Lebanon that we're talking about is is the place in ancient times uh, through King Solomon that he used to get these majestic cedar trees. They they would come down and they would bring them down. They were used in the building of the temple. They were used in the construction of the palace. And, and these were just beautiful trees, gorgeous trees, magnificent trees, stately trees, tall and stunning trees that were used. And it says here that a fire will feed on your cedars. In other words, it's going to be destroyed. They're going to be torn apart. They're going to be ripped apart, burned. Lebanon to the north there is where this judgment is going to come from. This judgment is is not the judgment of uh, Babylon, which comes a little bit from the north, but is really coming from the east. This is a judgment that comes directly from the north. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may feed your cedars. It says here that a fire will ravage the trees. That's basically what it's saying. It's going to depopulate the land. They're going to be ruined, gone. It is not just a fire that does this. 
folks, but it's a nation. A nation is about to descend upon Israel, is about to descend upon Jerusalem. Not only the cedars of Lebanon are going to be affected here, but the oak trees of Bashan. Zechariah is completely intense here. He is intense. And Zechariah is not letting up. He uses words here, pictures for us, that that give us a picture of, of what's happening. He says, Wail, O Cyprus, wail, O oaks. It gives a picture of true suffering gives a picture of distress it is repeated so that you get a clear a clear effect of the words if you've ever been to a jewish funeral and i have in new york city you would know what i mean the the folks there some of those folks know how to wail and it's loud and it's piercing it it penetrates your heart when you hear these kinds of things why is there wailing going on because there's utter sadness, utter sadness at the destruction that's coming that can be seen. There, there's a, a foreboding in this whole presentation here. There's an apprehension of, of total destruction. The people have to read through, the, through what is being said here, and they, they have to see this is not a prophecy of goodness, of richness, of, of, whole, of, of joy, of blessing. No, this is... A prophecy of destruction. Verse 3, there is a, a sound of a shepherd's wail, for their glory is ruined. This actually means that the their rich pastures are being ruined. In other words, you can't take your sheep out there to eat because there's no more to graze on. There's no more food. There's no more grass. The sheep now become dinner for the lions, is basically what's being said here. Zechariah is using a prophecy of something that is going to happen, but it's in the future. It has not happened yet. Some of the commentators try to say that this has already happened. No, this is a, a time in the future. It's giving us a picture, a picture of mankind and their sin that is taking advantage of others. That's what's happening here. For their glory is ruined. This is speaking of human leaders that have become dependent on their own strength, their own pride, and what they want to do. And it brings about ruin. It brings about ruin. They thought up their own ingenuity and smarts could get them through. Well, Chief Shepherd is going to show them different. Chief Shepherd is going to show them otherwise. The rest of verse 3 says this, There is a sound of young lions roar, for the pride of the Jordan is ruined. These young lions uh, no longer have their hiding place. They would hide in the trees and the bushes and the, all of those areas. They, they don't have because it it's all burned. It's all been wiped out. That lush bush that was there has been destroyed. Why all this destruction? Why all this destruction? Why all of this cause for alarm here? And there is much alarm. Beloved, this is a predictive prophecy of something that will happen in the future. Something that is going to happen and it's going to be real. It is real because this is a prophet giving this predictive prophecy. Something is going to be devastating. Something is going to be catastrophic. Something is going to bring about chaos. Their habitat has been affected by what is now known as the prophecy of the Roman army coming into Israel. 
they devastated the land. They used up everything. They needed it because it was such a huge army. They needed all of those trees. They needed all of the, the, the food, the pillage, whatever they could from any village that they went through, any people that they came across. This was an incredible army, and they need to supply that army. Terrible, horrible destruction was ordered by General Vespasian. He had a successor. His name was Titus. And these men did this destruction, and it was a destruction that went on for four years. Why, though? Why would Rome all of a sudden turn on Israel? Because previous to the Romans coming, there was much turmoil within the city of Jerusalem. The zealots had been fighting with the Roman soldiers. And matter of fact, in about the year 66 AD, insurrectionists gained control of the Roman garrison in Jerusalem. These insurrectionists killed the Romans. They <laughs> killed all of them, as a matter of fact. That's what happens when rioting goes on. You wind up killing people, and there's going to be retribution. There was so much unrest in this area of the world that Nero had had enough. We know Nero as the emperor who stood by as Rome burned. Well, Nero was not going to have this kind of thing happen in, in the outer reaches of his, of his empire. So he sent his army in. This is a judgment on the land. But this devastation does not remain out in the forest. It will and does affect the people. This prophecy of judgment comes upon the land because of the rejection of Jesus Christ. This prophecy is fulfilled in the events of 66 AD to 70 AD when the Romans destroyed all of Jerusalem. Then they moved on even to Masada. And sometimes you can take a look at that movie. I think there's a movie on it. And the wiping out of Masada. We're up there with uh, uh, our tour group. And you could see the ramp that the Romans built and how long it took. And they kept doing it and doing it. Nothing was going to stand in their way because they wanted to destroy completely. So that's the first aspect of judgment, the judgment of the land. The land is wiped out. The land has been terrifically torn apart, burned, devastated, used. Now we have the second aspect of judgment. It's the judgment of the, of the good shepherd. We see that in verses 4 through 14. Let's just read 4 through 6. It says, Thus says the Lord my God, pastured the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slay them and go unpunished. And each of those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, for I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. But behold... I will cause the men to fall, each into another's power and into the power of his king, and they will strike the land, and I will not deliver them from their power. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 4, Zechariah is instructed here to not just be a prophet, but now he's going to carry the mantle of a shepherd. Thus says the Lord my God. I, I love Zechariah and what he does here with this with this language. <laughs> Thus says the Lord my God. It's very personal, very intimate in his relationship. He, he's close to these to this and, and he loves the idea of being able to call God, Yahweh, his God. It's very personal. 
pasture the flock doomed to slaughter. Not just any flock, but the flock that is doomed to slaughter. Shepherd the flock doomed to, for slaughter. Are you serious? Folks, let's give you, it's like this. If the elders of Grace Community Church came to me and said, Bill, we want you to go into this fellowship group, this new fellowship group, and be their pastor. We want you to be their leader. We want you to be their teacher. This is the fellowship group of deadbeats, of the never-do-wells. And mostly they are on the brink of church discipline. But we want you to go in there and we want you to go for it. Oh, and by the way, once you get there, they're going to start attacking you and start attacking your family. Bill is being told to go to this group of hoodlums. And that's basically what Zechariah is being told. Go to this group of hoodlums and provide them wise leadership, spiritual guidance, and sound instruction. You're, you're given this order to instill righteousness in the heart of criminals. Thank you, Lord. Really appreciate that. <laughs> oh, but by the way, they are destined for butchering. In reality, they're destined for divine judgment. Even though you're going to go in there and you're going to teach them and you're going to minister to them and you're going to try to give them hope and try to help them, they're still destined for divine judgment. doesn't seem like a really good assignment. No different than Ezekiel in Ezekiel 2. He's told to go and preach, but the Lord even says it in the same verse. But they're not going to listen. They're not going to listen. I, I hope there are no people like that at Grace Community Church that they're there, but they're not going to listen. I mean, they hear, but they're not going to listen. Now we hear in verse 5, we meet those who are about to carry out this scene of judgment. We meet the buyers, we meet the sellers, we meet the shepherds, we meet the sheep. And so let's uh, take a look at that. If you buy the sheep, you slaughter the sheep. Buy the sheep, you slaughter the sheep. Well, yeah, that's what you're going to feed people, but no, there's sarcasm here, folks. Zechariah, with much sarcasm, derides the buyers and the sellers. These sellers are the oppressors of the sheep. They care nothing at all for the sheep. They only see them as a profit vehicle. That's all they are. Can that be today in the church where you have men who see only the people as a profit vehicle? Ah, I think you could have that in some churches. And those who buy them only slaughter them. That's all they do is slaughter them. The buyers do not care for the life of the well or the well-being of their charge. Those who buy them slay them. The sheep represent real people. They're there to be taken advantage of. And nothing ever happens to this injustice. It goes on and on and on. This is trafficking in what we would consider Slave trade, they just use and abuse the sheep. Here we find that God no longer has compassion on the inhabitants of the land. I think this is the most touching thing that's here, the most uh, critical thing that's here. He no longer has compassion on the inhabitants of the land. It says this, For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. Yahweh is allowing the slaughter of the sheep. Why? Why would God do that? Why would Yahweh do that to his people? 
It's because of their moral degradation. It's truly unacceptable moral degradation. It's repulsive to God in his eyes. Friends, if you find yourself, and I'm going to just step away from the message right now, but if you find yourself in sin that is going on and and you keep going through it and you keep going through it and and you haven't resolved it, God is patient. I I want you to know that he's incredibly patient. Uh, Look at the centuries with the Jewish people. Incredibly patient. But how long? How long? When will he start his discipline? He says in, in Hebrews chapter 12 that he disciplines those he loves. I do not think you want to try his patience. Reach out for help and do it now. I remember sitting in my office years ago when this man was committing a horrific sin, and, and I confronted him as, as I'm sitting there, and I said, one of two things is going to happen. One, God is going to start to punish you. He's going to start to bring retribution against you. How do I know that? And I read part of Hebrews 12 about how God uh, disciplines those he loves. I said, or the other, God's not going to do anything, and you're going to hell. Which would you prefer? I I would hope that you would prefer neither, and you would want to repent. That's the same thing that's happening here. That's the same thing that happens with us if we don't repent of our sins and turn from them. Man is confronted by this. Man should be confronted by this. All of us should be. Beloved, they have not learned their lesson. These people, the Jewish nation, let's go back there. They should have learned the lesson from their forefathers. The forefathers should have taught it to them over and over again. Disobedience brings judgment. That's what they should have learned, if nothing else. By the way, the withdrawal of compassion here from these folks does not mean that God has annulled his promises with Israel. We want to make sure that's very clear. He has not annulled his promises with Israel. How do we know that? Leviticus 26.44 says this, I will not reject them, nor will I abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. God has a promise out there. It's an eternal promise in nature, that, that promise to his people. The emphasis in the text is, is on how the, the fate of the flock is in the hands of hungry buyers and of rich sellers. They're handed over to the other, and in extreme confusion and dire conditions, they will perish. That's what happens. The shepherds stand by twiddling their thumbs and are faithful to the transactions, but not to the sheep. They're faithful to the transactions, but not to the sheep. The shepherds do not spare the flock from oblivion. They, they don't really care about the flock. Verse 6, let's look, read that again. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord, but behold, I will cause the men to fall, each into another's power and into the power of his king, and they will strike the land, and I will not deliver them from their power. Basically, Yahweh is telling them, that he is the one who is behind this situation. Yahweh is the one that's handing them over to the shepherds for those shepherds to do what they want with them. This is the judgment of the good shepherd. Friends, I believe the judgment came in this form, okay? 
the Roman army marching through Lebanon, burning the trees, devastating the land, taking whatever they needed for food and, and for shelter, whatever it is. They went through every town, through every village, enslaving everyone they caught, torturing them, beating them, whatever it was. Zechariah then continues in verse 7, So I pastured the flock, doomed to slaughter, hence the afflicted of the flock, and I took for myself two staffs, the one I call favor and the other I called union. So I pastured the flock. I want you to notice something there, beginning of the verse and the end of the verse. So I pastured the flock. <laughs> just, just to remind us that that's what he was there to do. I pastured the flock. I pastured the flock. Zechariah is, is doing what he was told. Shepherd these people. Even though they're going to be disobedient, even though they're going to reject the Messiah, pasture these people. Zechariah is an obedient prophet, and now we see that he's an obedient shepherd. He assumes that role of shepherd here, and he wants to make it very clear, and he does it by giving the idea of these two staffs. Something very curious happens here with Zechariah and these two staffs. One is called favor. That could also be translated pleasant or God's blessing. The other is called union or allotment or cord or, or something that holds together, something that can't be pulled apart. This is the union between God and his people and union between the northern and the southern tribes. That's what we could use, could see that as a picture of. But I don't know if you know this. I, when we was studying through this, didn't quite understand that until I started to think about it and read some other portions of Scripture that talked about staffs. Typically, a shepherd had two staffs, one for walking, one for holding on to that he put in his little tunic there. And we see that in Psalm 23, 4. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So there were two there. And Zechariah is talking about that, one favor, one union. And Zechariah, out of the blue, says this in verse 8, For I annihilated the three shepherds in one month, for my soul was impatient with them, and their soul also was weary of me. Huh? What? Zechariah annihilated the three shepherds? I'm, I'm thinking that at this point, Zechariah is exasperated here. He, he he says that he killed them in one month, these three shepherds. We don't see it in history, at least I don't see it in history, and as um, being a somewhat of a history buff, I'm looking at it and I can't find it. But friends, listen to this. There are over 40, okay, options that were given by the various commentators about these three shepherds that were annihilated in one month. Some that go back before Zechariah, some just right after Zechariah. May I offer one more? Let's make it 41. These three shepherds have yet to appear. We haven't seen them on, uh, out there. Well, we, at least we don't know that they're out there. They may be. Hopefully the end is close. But I believe they're going to be there in the end time tribulation. And that's when we will see them. I don't think we'll be in the tribulation. But that's when they'll come and appear. The point is not to discover the three shepherds. And I've got to tell you, some people spent 
page after page after page after page trying to talk about these three shepherds. It's not the point to discover who they are. The point to get here is that the good shepherd, the good one, he does the removal. He takes them out in a sense. We see in verse 9, Then I said, I will pasture you. What is to die? Let it die. What is to be annihilated? Let it be annihilated. And let those who are left eat one another's flesh. Wow. Because, ladies and gentlemen, because of the rejection of the good shepherd's leadership, he answers here in verse 9. You can hear the frustration in the verse. The shepherd allows the weak sheep to die. When the righteous leadership is removed, the sheep fail. They die. They, they need the good shepherd. That's what happens when people go into poor churches. And, and I don't mean financially poor churches. I mean teaching poor churches. They begin to die. I've had friends that have moved to other places, and they, they can't find a good church, and they, they begin to die spiritually in a sense. The sheep needs protection. The sheep needs to be taught, needs to be served by the shepherd. For the sheep needs protection. The shepherd says, let it be annihilated. Wow, it's not much of a shepherd. Not much of a shepherd. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. That is horrible, ghastly, hideous, Shocking, but it happens, and it happens in the prophecy in 70 AD. This is a picture of something that is going to happen in 70 AD when the Romans attacked Jerusalem. The city was surrounded. The city was without food. They were starved months and months and months of being attacked and, and, and the battle going on. People began to turn to one another for food. Folks, I don't mean stealing their food. To turn to one another for food. Jo- Josephus, a historian, and I, I read his book years and years and years ago, talks about these brutal and inhumane treatments in his history book, which I can't even repeat here. These are horrible stories of what they did to survive. That's what this picture is. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. That's just ghastly. Horrible. Verse 10. I took my staff favor and cut it in pieces to break my covenant, which I had made with all the peoples. This is the reaction by Zechariah. portrays what the wicked shepherds do. This symbolic act by Zechariah of taking the shepherd's crook and breaking it, cutting it in pieces, is a picture of the annulment of the covenant. The covenant is now broken, and it's a very specific covenant. It speaks of one specific covenant. It says there in verse 10, to break my covenant. Okay, that's not the shepherd's covenant. That's not the prophet's covenant. That my covenant is God's covenant, because God is the only one who can make a covenant, which I had made with all the peoples, all the nations. I believe only God can make that covenant. The prophet and the shepherd cannot make that covenant. Only God, only Yahweh can do that. 
this covenant with the nations, they are to leave Israel in peace. That's what he's talking about here. This is the covenant. The peoples of the world are to, in a sense, leave Israel uh, on its own, that it will not be destroyed, completely wiped out, those kinds of things. That's the covenant that's broken here. Now God's people don't have that kind of defense. They're defenseless. God has handed them over. Why? Why? Because Jesus was handed over. Jesus was handed over to Pilate. And Jesus goes to the cross, and and the restraints now are removed. God says, you're going to do that to my son. I'm removing the restraints that I put on the peoples, on the nations of destroying you. Israel is no longer protected by the Almighty. It was the shepherds of the people that handed over Jesus. That's who handed Jesus to Pilate. We see that conclusion in verse 11. So it has, was broken on that day, and thus the afflicted of the flock who were watching me realized that it was the word of the Lord. The covenant was broken. The flock got the message that way they were delivered over to the nations. They knew it. The transgressors of the covenant are now placed in judgment. We see this really clearly in Hosea's son's name. When, when Hosea is told to name his son Lo-Ami, then he describes what that name means. It says, you are not my people and I am not your God. That's the frustration of Yahweh giving over his people. Because why? They gave over his son. Verse 12. Verse 12. I said to them, if it is good in your sight, give me my wages. But if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. The shepherd now asks for his wages. Zechariah is asking for his wages. You can see what was given to him. The 30 pieces of silver was a slave wage. It wasn't what a shepherd should be given, but that's what was given to him. It was a slave wage. The shepherd is highlighting the finality of their broken relationship. This is between himself and the nation, but symbolically it's between the Lord and, and Israel. Look at the irony, though. Look at the prophecy right here as Judas got 30 pieces of silver for the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it, folks, just for a moment. The insult to God. Think about the insult to God. Only 30 pieces of silver for the blood of the Messiah? Only 30 pieces of silver for the Son of God? Notice what happens now as the Lord directs what is to happen to this ill-gotten money. This is is even more incredible, even more incredible. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that magnificent price, at which was valued by them. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. To me, this is sarcasm. Complete and utter sarcasm. Excuse me. 
and that's used by the Lord. Throw it to the potter. That magnificent price. That's, it's just inconceivable. It's inconceivable poking fun at this in a sense. Just saying, huh? Wow, 30 pieces of silver. I think he overdid it. The payment that the shepherd received was well below what he should have received. The Lord Jesus Christ as well was worth much more than 30 pieces of silver that Judas received. Jesus Christ is priceless. Priceless. Then, listen to this, then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter that magnificent price. By the way, folks, this is not throw like you throw a baseball. This is like a toss. This is like contempt. Who really cares? It's flat out scorn for what happened. Just toss it away. The righteous leadership of this shepherd, the, the good shepherd, is rejected. The 30 pieces of silver pena, a picture of the true heart of the shepherds of Israel. They despise righteousness and love what is evil. They despise righteousness and they love what is evil. Isn't that what they said at the trial of Jesus? Let me take you back there. When they were asked the question, is he not your king? Speaking of Jesus, is he not your king, this righteous and holy man? What was their answer? Their answer says, we have only one king, Caesar. This is so magnificent how this, ma- this just matches up. By the way, that's John 19.15 if you want to look it up. As a shepherd in our text is rejected, so was the Lord Jesus Christ over 500 years later. The end of verse 13 says this, So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. He didn't throw 10 pieces, didn't throw 25 pieces, but exactly 30 pieces. This is prophetic. This is incredible. Let me put this warning out there now. If you reject the grace and the mercy of God, as provided for you up to this point, you are in danger. If you are just playing church and maybe even coming with your husband or your wife or maybe even your kids, who knows? If you are choosing the pleasures of this world, unaffected by the things of God, you cannot escape the judgment either. You got to remember that. There is a sowing here and then a reaping kind of situation. The Hebrews are sowing to their future. When God says he's taking his hands off from protecting them, don't put yourself in that kind of position. Give your life to Christ immediately and without question. Verse 14, Then I cut in pieces my second staff, union to break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And it's, folks, it's not just the brotherhood between Judah and Israel, but it's the brotherhood between God and his people. The Lord is rejected by the people. Therefore, God, the Lord, Yahweh, rejects them. 
the covenant is broken here. Jeremiah 3, 8, I think it is, says that he hands them a writ of divorce. And that's what he's done. He hands them a writ of divorce and says, we're done for now. He's sort of on the back burner. So far, we have seen the judgment of the lamb, the judgment of the good shepherd, and now the judgment of the anti-shepherd. We see that in verses 15 through 17. And in 15 through 17, it says, The Lord said to me, Take again for yourself the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the people, or for the perishing, seek the scattered, heal the broken, or sustain the one standing but will pour, devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hoofs. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword will be on his right arm, uh, on his arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be blind. I, this is incredible. This is incredible judgment. Notice again, who is in charge? Yahweh is in charge, in charge once again. He's directing all that is going on. This is the last aspect of judgment here on Israel and, and uh, the world, for that matter, if you want to know the truth. The Lord said to me, Take again for yourself the equipment of a foolish shepherd. This is not really a good shepherd. It's not really a shepherd that cares for God's people. It's a, a shepherd that says the wrong things, does the wrong things, has no care for the flock, maybe abuses the flock, a, de- a degradation to, to being a shepherd. They take advantage of the people. This is an unwise shepherd to say the least. Verse 16, For behold, I am going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care. This shepherd is not acting in the best interest of the flock of God. As a matter of fact, this shepherd is praying upon, uh, folks, not praying for, praying upon. He, he's taking advantage of them. He's not praying for the flock. This, the text says, will not, will not care for the perishing, seek the scattered, heal the broken, or sustain the one standing. While some shepherds are incompetent, this one is taking advantage of the, sh- of the flock and ignoring the flock in his charge. The most terrible thing here is that this anti-shepherd will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and will tear off the hoofs. It just makes an absolute total degradation of everything. This anti-shepherd will go to any length to take advantage of sheep. He truly is ruthless and exploitive anti-shepherd. The judgment on the anti-shepherd is so clearly said in verse 17. It says this, Woe to the worthless shepherd. He has abandoned the flock, and in a sense, he has even begun to devour the flock of God. The consequences are incredible for not attending the sheep that he has been given, God's going to hold him. God's going to hold him accountable. This neglect by the picture of a lazy and frankly harmful shepherd 
receive dire consequences, and we can go through those. But I, I just want to bring this to where we should be, friends. The greatest anti-shepherd, the greatest anti-shepherd of all times, is the Antichrist. We see that in Revelation thirteen seven. This is leading all the way up to the end times here, folks. Revelation thirteen seven says this, It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. That is the Antichrist. There is warning here for the anti-shepherd. His arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be blind. The anti-shepherd makes war. He doesn't care about us. Frankly, I look at our world today. He's making war with human beings. Even though they're on his side already, he's still making war with them. His arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be blind. His strength will be taken from him. His intelligence and his ability to see will be hindered. His arm becomes useless and his eye sightless. God is angry with Israel, folks. We know that. They rejected his son. Speaking in terms of uh, in the future 500 years, they have rejected the Messiah. The shepherds of that day called for the blood of Jesus Christ. They wanted Rome to be their shepherd. Now they got that shepherd, the anti-shepherd who destroyed them. They got Rome and, and Jerusalem was destroyed and thousands died. Sheep led to the slaughter. That's exactly what they were. And they rejected the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Today, we did chapter 11, a whole chapter. Yes, a whole chapter. We saw three judgments. Judgment of the land, judgment of the good shepherd, and judgment of the anti-shepherd. Folks, I hope you take it seriously. And that is your walk with the Lord. Because judgment is coming. I don't know if you see it, but I see it. Pandemics and rioting and all kinds of things. The world is coming apart. Jesus Christ is returning soon. Yesterday I found myself in my backyard and I saw these clouds rolling through. And you know what I, I think about when I see clouds rolling through? Is the Messiah, is Christ on one of those clouds coming to take us home? Lord, I titled this passage, Maranatha, Come Lord Jesus. May that be my prayer that you would come soon. Lord God, that the people of this world would have their eyes opened and that they would see the King. Lord God, I, I continue to think about what we're going to be looking at in Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14. It gets even more exciting. Thank you for your word, your holy word, in your name. Amen.